When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. What's up, everybody? Nick Larson with the Project Upland podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Back with you for another episode. We've got an excellent show for you today. Had a great conversation with our upcoming guest. He's uh, he is also a podcast host, and he runs a he runs a cool podcast. And I've gotten to know him a little bit through that, and uh, chatted with him a little bit about podcasting before I got up and running. Uh, so he's been, uh, he's been helpful to me with that. I think he's kind of a wealth of information about certain things. He'll tell you that it's useless information, but, uh, I think he, I think he knows quite a bit about Western wing shooting when it comes to, uh, shooting, hunting sharp tails, Hungarian partridge and pheasants. He does it a lot in North Dakota and he does it well. And, uh, he knows a lot about it, and so I asked him some questions about about that on today's show. And like I said, we'll get to that in a little bit. But wanted to touch base. Uh, we missed last week's episode. I uh, had a, had somebody lined up, and uh, it just didn't work out. Their schedule was too busy, and and I didn't uh, shame on me. I guess I didn't have a backup plan. But uh, we'll try to uh, we'll try to keep these episodes on a very pretty regular basis, and and not leave too many gaps. But uh, I hope people are still enjoying the show. Again, we're receiving feedback, and as always, I appreciate that. 
you know, whether it's uh, whether it's a, a Facebook message to me or an email to me or uh, you know a rating or a review on iTunes or you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or any of those things, that lets us know that you're listening. It helps us in the ratings and rankings. It helps us get discovered and. Uh, ultimately it's going to help make this show better. So again, if, uh, if you're out there doing that, I certainly appreciate it. And, uh, if you haven't yet and you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and, uh, and all that stuff. And, and again, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to reach out to me or anybody at project Upland with, with ideas or suggestions for the show. Cause, cause we like it and we appreciate it. Um, hunting report. It's been a couple weeks now. The clock has turned on me, or I should say the calendar has turned. It is November. It's unbelievable. October, where did you go? My long-lost friend. It's crazy. October has come and gone. And although my October was phenomenal, incredible, it's always always a blast for me. I had... I had things planned just about every weekend, whether it was hunting with different friends or, or family, and I had a lot of great hunts, and I don't know why, it's probably, I don't know why I sort of, I think grouse hunting, grouse and woodcock hunting in this area, you tend to look at October as the pinnacle of the season, and while it probably is, there is certainly <clears throat> hunting to be had before and after October, this year, I'm a little sour on that right now because we got dumped on with snowfall early this year. It's, you know, I, I know enough to know better. I, I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. We can expect anything here, but when you get snowfall in October and significant snowfall, it's, it's snowed, it's snowed like four plus inches at least two or three times now in the last week. And so we it's still kind of melting a little bit in between, but we got into the, needless to say, we got in the woods last week and it had just snowed on Friday, we got in the woods Saturday morning. It was like a white wall. You couldn't see anything. It was that heavy snow that that bent all the limbs down from the trees. And you know, mind you, the weekend before was late October, prime hunting. All the leaves pretty much down, phenomenal. And then here we are, boom, smacked right in the face with a a white wall of snow. You could barely even move through it. And we got out and hunted. And we actually moved some birds in that snow. It was crazy, but trying to get a shot was a completely different story. Um, fortunately for us, my friend Garrett and I, Garrett was on the podcast though, last episode, we were in northern Wisconsin hunting. We were able to drive our way out of the snow, and we got to an area that had very little to no snow, and we found some of that excellent, excellent late October hunting. We moved a bunch of grouse and there was still woodcock around and we hunted all new spots, completely new territory, had a blast, had some great dog work. We both shot birds. It was phenomenal. Uh, it was a weekend that I will remember because it may very well be the last weekend of, of really, really superb hunting uh, for me this year, at least as far as upland hunting, grouse and woodcock. But needless to say, that was a good weekend and... We started to see some birds. We, we we found probably more grouse last weekend than I had found all season. So that was exciting. And then sort of downer, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find them again this this coming weekend. Uh, we'll see. It's it's just going to be different out there. I mean, you can the grouse are still there. I hope the woodcock are gone because if they're not, they're buried in snow. Um, so they need to get there. They need to get moving south. And I hope they're gone. 
and uh, we can find the grouse, but but they'll be they'll be in different areas, and and it can be a little bit more challenging, a little bit more finicky. But that's that's part of uh, part of bird hunting is how the season progresses. So that's my uh, hunting report for this week. Last thing I will touch on before uh, we transition into the episode. We've got kind of a little bonus for Project Upland listeners. It has to do with my uh, two-minute gear review that I'm going to do this week. Um, I have, I've got a, a probably a more long-form review that's going to come out on these on the website. It's not up yet. I don't know when it will be, but uh, if you have questions about these, you can ask me. Um, I started wearing, last year I started wearing, I, I was kind of a leather boot guy my whole life. And for grouse and woodcock hunting, I started wearing knee-high rubber boots. And I've, I've tried a couple different pairs since then. The one problem I was having is that they would wear out incredibly fast. Uh, on the wear points where the, the rubber creased and you were constantly, your foot was bending in, in due to motion, I would get little tiny holes, uh, rendering them no longer waterproof, which is the only reason you wear a, a, a rubber boot pretty much to make sure that your feet are dry. Um, so that was unfortunate. I got turned on to Gumleaf USA. I believe I was reading an article in the Pointing Dog Journal and somebody had highlighted these boots, uh, Gumleaf USA. They are made in Europe and they are imported to the U.S., they are a high-quality, premium rubber boot, 85% natural rubber. And where the difference is that's been explained to me is that they use a much higher rubber content in the boots, and that should ultimately pre- prevent that early wear-out in those, in those areas that get used over and over again. So, so far that has been the case. I got them in late September, I believe, and I, I wore them every single weekend, grouse and woodcock hunting up until last weekend. I've had them out every single weekend and I love them. They are phenomenal. The one thing I love about rubber boots in general, I mean, where I hunt, it's a lot of alder swamps, beaver swamps. I mean, no matter how wet or dry the woods are, I'm always trying to find water and the rubber boot has saved me from many, many wet socks and uncomfortable feet. And the two things I, I want to hit on is people always ask me, number one, don't your feet get sweaty? And I think that's, I'm pretty neutral on that. I mean, yes, your feet will sweat in a rubber boot, but they will also sweat in a leather boot. And <clears throat> the way that most of these rubber boots are set up, the ones that I have from Gumleaf, uh, the Viking model and their other model too, they are neoprene line and that neoprene is actually very breathable. And additionally, your rubber boots are open at the top. Typically I leave mine wide open at the top and I don't, I don't cinch them down or anything. And so I think that actually really helps with airflow and circulation. Um, so my point is, yes, your feet will get sweaty. If it's warm, your feet are going to sweat no matter what you're wearing. I think, uh, if they do get sweaty in, in these boots, it, it, there's no lack of, there's no loss of comfort. I never, I never stop hunting and, and take notice of my, the sweat in my boots and say, wow, that's really uncomfortable. And ultimately I, no matter how much I sweat into those boots, it is never as, as uncomfortable as having wet feet. And the one thing I can say is that I have had 100% dry from outside water sources, 100% dry feet 
every day that I've worn these gum leaf boots and they're super comfortable. Uh, and then the other thing people ask me a lot is about ankle support because again, you don't lace your feet into them and you're like, I don't even strap them down. And so I think a lot of people have the idea that your feet would be pretty wobbly in rubber boots. And I think with some, they can, the gum leaves have a pretty good structure to them. And I actually think they provide they're close to just the right amount of support. I, I feel very secure in them. I, I can't recall any instances really more so than, than anything else where my feet get, or my ankles get into a, you know, a compromising position and they have, they have done the job very well. And I think what I'm kind of noticing is that there's something about having the boot come all the way up to just under the knee that while it's not strapped down, there's something to be said there. It's, I almost can't really explain it, but there's a support that I'm getting by having that high, uh, that high leg opening. And it's, it almost keeps like my whole lower leg more on a straight line and without, without completely locking it down. Um, and so, yeah, I really like them. They're super comfortable. They will keep your feet darn dry. I can promise you that. And, uh, they're, they're a really good quality boot. I was, uh, I purchased them at a, at a discounted price. I was, I just sent an email to the, uh, to the, the regular customer service email address. And I wound up talking to the CEO, uh, really nice guy answered my questions and, uh, ultimately ended up offering me the boots at a discounted price, which I was happy to pay for. Uh, anything happened to them, I would buy them again. Uh, they're a great boot. So I encourage you to check them out. That's Gumleaf USA. Uh, Google that. I think it's gumleafusa.com. But one thing we do have for Project Upland listeners is a promo code for you guys and girls to get free shipping. Uh, that promo code is PU2017. So the letter P, letter U, like Project Upland, 2017. That's PU2017. Free shipping from Gumleaf USA until December 31st, I believe. So Check those boots out. If you have questions or concerns, you can certainly ask me about them. I'd be happy to tell you about it. And uh, I think uh, if you do decide to purchase them, you'll be very happy with them. Uh, All right, that's it. I've gone on long enough. Let's get into today's show. My guest is Tyler Webster. He is the host of formerly the Western Wing Shooter podcast. It is now called the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. Cool podcast. I enjoy listening to it. He's got his own a style all on his own with him and his buddies. And uh, but like I mentioned before, Tyler knows a lot about hunting sharp tail huns and pheasants out west in North Dakota. And we talk about it on today's show. So at this time, welcome to the show, Tyler Webster. All right, Tyler, what's up? Not too much, man. Just just on the road and just got done with a little bit of bird hunting and just uh Got a little, little drive ahead of me heading into Minot. So what's going on with you? Oh, not too much. Just uh, I got done sho- shoveling my driveway, as we kind of uh, talked about. We've uh, we've been getting some early snowfall yeah. here in Minnesota, and uh, it doesn't seem to want to let up. I was last week I was optimistic, thinking we would have a little bit of snow and it would melt, but we got dumped on again last night, and it looks like we're going to get some more this weekend. So I'm not sure what that means for us, but it could uh, could very well be an early start to winter. Ah, it feels like pheasant season finally for me. I, 
October's great. It's beautiful. We had a lot of nice weather, but as soon as it starts getting cold, we start getting some snow. My mind starts turning to peasants. Yeah, you mentioned that 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 uh, this is kind of this is kind of your your one of your at least one of your favorite times of of the fall fall season is is sort of once yeah. October passes by. Yeah, for sure. Like I uh, I I have so many friends that the last several years that have been coming up here and hunting with me, and they. Um, you know, I really try to concentrate on getting them on birds in the early season in October when the birds are kind of young and stupid. But uh, the, my last my last group of friends uh, that was up here was uh, Ron Bain from the Hunting Dog Podcast and Dave Utzinger. They were up here for a week and they left last Saturday, so it's now it's it's my hunting season starts. So. Cool. So you're you're uh, you're done you're done guiding the the Michiganders and and all your other buddies, and now you can just. Yeah. Kind of hunt on your own terms yeah actually it's going to be it's going to be i'm going to flip the script on them a little bit uh i'm going to michigan the first week of december and they're going to have to guide me on, on some rough grouse so it's about time they start they start repaying paying those uh those hunting debts they owe <laughs> yeah well hey it's uh that's uh i know that's that's uh one of the one of the reasons why i kind of got involved with i mean really the upland hunting community and reaching out to people because you you meet a lot of cool people and and you open up lots of uh, opportunities. I mean, I don't know if those guys had, oh. had hunt, hunted out your way before, but I know they they had fun. I listened to some of your guys' podcasts. They they had a blast out there. And now, like you said, you flip it over and you go back to Michigan and do something you've never done before. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of my whole goal that I've had the last few years. For a while, I had it in my mind that I was going to try to I was going to try to I was I've, I've been a licensed guide in North Dakota in the past, and I was going to re-up that, and I was going to try to try to make some money off it. And then I realized that it's just not any fun. Like it's way too serious. There's way too much pressure, and then you don't really get to choose who you're hunting with. So yep. I decided that you know I make I make a decent enough living as it is, where I can kind of afford to have fun with hunting still. So why why would I want to why would I want to try to turn it into a job? Uh, and I kind of um, Really, it kind of started with, with, with Ron on the Hunting Dog Podcast and talking to him, and I kind of opened up my eyes to being from North Dakota. We've, we've, we kind of have an embarrassment of riches. Um, yeah. Like I've grown up here. I've lived here my whole life, and I didn't really – it took me listening to all these other people talking from around the country to really realize how lucky we are here. Uh, I mean, we can – I can knock on I can knock on anybody's door if the if the fields are posted, which a good chunk of them are not. Uh, and even if I do knock on the door and I tell them I'm going to go chase sharptails and huns, they're like, "Oh, by all means, you know, just go have at it." Yeah. But uh, and waterfowl and everything else. And I, I, you know, I listen to listen to everybody else talk, and they're talking about you know when they pull up to a uh, like a piece of those uh the grouse gems or whatever they have in michigan those proper the, the dnr managed for just four grouse yep, and they exactly. talk about pulling up there they pull up there and they see other trucks there and they're all bummed out because that's the spot they're planning on hunting and it didn't really dawn on me that people have to go through that kind of crap <laughs> and upland hunting like we don't have any of that stuff here like yeah in fact in the part of the state that i'm in opening weekend of pheasant season i had six guys up from Michigan, we were all, we hunted hard for like six days, and I think we've seen one other group of people, and it was in a bar after we'd gotten a limit for the day. Like, we didn't <laughs> see anybody else in the field hunting at all. Yep. Yeah, that's but, uh, my, my uh, 
my buddy Garrett was on the podcast a week ago, and he kind of said the same thing as far as um, when you when you knock on you know there's a lot of he was hunting Montana. And there's a lot of public land out there as as there is where you're at too. But right. if you knock on somebody's door and say we're gonna we're hunting sharp tails, they're usually usually pretty like ah go ahead go for it. That's that's kind of the the same right. response that that he mentioned too. Yeah, they're kind of. I don't know. I've, I've always thought they were kind of an underappreciated bird. Uh, it, they're, it's a lot of work to get on them sometimes. Uh, you know, sometimes it, it's literally just they're, you know, you can't avoid them at times. And other times you have to walk miles upon miles of, of prairie grass that all looks the same and just kind of hope that you're walking in the right area or your dogs are, are looking in the right spot. Um, but it seems like a lot of people, they'll hunt them that opening weekend just because it's kind of the first season that comes along and, uh, you know, everybody kind of gets excited about you know, the early seasons. And then they just kind of quit and leave them alone. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever walked up to a landowner and, and asked for permission to go hunt sharp tails and been turned down. I, I, I can't remember it ever happening. It may have happened that, you know, he's like, well, you can, but stay out of this field because I've seen a big deer there or... Uh, there's, you know, but usually it's, it's people just, they don't, they just really don't uh, give them the respect I think they deserve. Yeah, that's, I mean, that certainly in, in today's day and age, it's nice to hear that, that you can still hunt an area where, you know, obviously I hunt Minnesota a lot, Wisconsin. We have lots of public land here. Uh, we don't, I don't really right. have, to, I don't really have to hunt private land, although I'm starting to hear from a lot of people that, say well yeah you don't have to hunt private land but if you if all it takes is a simple knock on the door and and somebody's open to it you can you can actually open up some access to really good areas uh so that's oh, that's, for starting, sure. that's starting to pique my interest a little bit and i can see out there how, how that would certainly apply but again yeah nice nice to know that that most landowners are again if you're respectful you respect the game you respect their land property they're still happy to let you go out there and hunt that's pretty cool yeah, absolutely. The other thing that, that's opened up a lot of permission for me over the over the years is, uh, is actually isn't uh, doesn't involve bird hunting at all. It actually involves uh, going around in the wintertime and wanting to go coyote hunting. And ah. you, you stop and ask them if you can go out coyote hunting. Boy, they're 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 they act like they're indebted to you for life. I mean, you just <laughs> go out there the next year and. They're like, oh, yeah, I remember you. You came out here and shot some coyotes out here last year. Yeah, go for it. You know, go have fun. And if you see any coyotes, you know, but it's that's opened up a lot. And, and I, I have a, I have an atlas that I've been offered offered pretty large dollar sums for uh, that have all the all the pieces of permission that I have and all the names uh-huh. and addresses of all the farmers that, that are friends of mine. And uh, if I get a piece of permission, that that name and and number goes in my my little book, and I shade in their property on my on my big road atlas. So. Uh, if, in, when I'm driving around in January and February after the season's closed, that's I get a lot of access that way too. But I mean, up here with uh, with the no trespass laws, the way that they are, and especially in this part of the state, I live in the northwestern part of the state. Um, I'd say that probably 50% of the fields up here, or around the area I'm in, are just simply not posted. So I mean, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres of, of of crop field and and slew bottoms and and prairie grass that that all seem to hold birds. Yeah, yeah, very cool. What uh, what I was gonna ask, I might have, I maybe mentioned this to you. I don't remember, but I 
I haven't. I've never upland hunted in North Dakota. I have. Uh, I've done a little goose hunting there when I was in college, but my only real, uh, my only okay. real tie, my only real tie to North Dakota is that my dad's from uh, Williston, so we uh, I have, oh, okay. some fam- have some family out there, and I haven't been out there in a long time, but uh, I know that area. Obviously- that trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was going to ask you. I mean, I I hear about all the stuff that goes on in Williston as far as industry and the oil boom and a lot of that kind of stuff, but. Um. Yeah, I mean the whole Western North Dakota is is a wing shooting destination. So I should probably uh, I should probably start calling my cousins out there. Yeah, yeah, you should you should definitely get closer with them for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, when when I when I was in high school, there wasn't a lot of pheasants around Mina where I where I grew up at. Um, and we'd always make a couple trips a year to Williston actually, and and okay. north of there up by Zoll and Renora, and there was, I mean. We'd see hundreds and hundreds of pheasants every day hunting there, and it, it's it's big. It's big country. It looks a lot like eastern Montana, obviously, because it's right on the border. But uh, it's a lot of big rolling prairie and deep deep coulees and creek bottoms and stuff. And there's there's a lot of birds over there. That 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 area, with especially with the oil boom that happened for literally a decade, uh, a lot of the stuff that we used to hunt up there got posted up pretty tight. But uh, now that the oil's kind of slowed down here for the last couple of years, and um, I've been talking to some people over there, so the access is starting to get a little bit easier again. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's uh, that. That was I was certainly curious as to you know somebody that's been out there for for a while to to sort of see that change firsthand and how it sort of developed and where it's at now. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. But um, you are. Uh, well, I guess we didn't even, we didn't really chat about this, but uh, you're a podcast host yourself. Uh, I am. It wasn't uh, wasn't too long ago that you started up the uh, the Western Wing Shooter podcast. Uh, that's what it was formerly yep. known as, which it's uh, now yep. now tra- transitioned to the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. Which, uh, if you're a listener of the show, you you would know that that comes from a from a group uh, Facebook group that Tyler manages with some of his buddies. And, uh, but I guess, uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast and, uh, why you started it and what you're enjoying about it so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm having a blast with it. Um, but it all kind of stemmed, um, you know, I got, I got a lot of family and, and, and friends that, that especially a lot of family, like a lot of my, my older, my great uncles and my grandpa and everybody else who I started hunting with, a lot of them are, are gone now. And I, I really started thinking, you know, that even when I was a kid, I remember, I remember, like after we got done with deer hunting, we always had a, uh, you know, we'd have, um, we, whatever we shot for the day or whatever, we'd be, it would be hanging in the garage. And the most fun I had during deer season, and this is probably part of the reason why I'm a, a pretty, pretty non. Uh, not a great deer hunter now, but <laughs> I had more fun just sitting around listening to the old stories that those guys would tell passing around the schnapps bottle and, you know, just laughing. And, and I, I was really kind of starting to get concerned that a lot of those stories were going to be lost. And then I started thinking about it as it applied to me and my group of friends. And um, I liked the name of the, the Western Wing Shooter podcast. I liked it a lot, but it really wasn't it, it was much more serious than what I wanted my podcast to be. Yeah. Um, I wanted it to be more of my group of friends and the people that I've been hunting with 
sitting around after we got done hunting telling lies and, and making fun of each other's shots that were missed and dogs busting birds or whatever, you know, and just just the camaraderie aspect of, of, of bird hunting, which is, I, I think that's why I'm, I'm, that's why I love bird hunting so much. It's not, I mean, it, the dogs for sure. I love, I love watching dogs work and getting out there and tracing through the country is, is awesome, but it's such a social experience and it's, it's more social, I think, than a lot of other kinds of hunting. Um, yep. you know, deer hunting people are sitting up in a tree stand all day long, uh, uh, elk hunters, they're backpacking way back into the country with one or two other guys. Waterfowlers are, that's such a, an early morning deal with a couple people. It's, it's, upland hunting is really, is really just, it's kind of the social hub of, of hunting. And I wanted to sit down with the people that, that I, I hunt with and, and, and just kind of have bowl sessions after we get done hunting and get those recorded. And I mean, you never know when somebody's going to go. I mean, it's kind of morbid to think about that way, but I've started getting some. I got one recorded with my great uncle and my second cousin, and then just, I mean, buddies of mine, and who knows when our number's going to get called and, and we're not going to be there no more. And it's going to be kind of cool to be able to look back and and listen to listen to the stories and the voices after after somebody's gone. Yeah, that's, that's uh, I had kind of heard that a little bit from, from being a listener to your podcast, but I think that's, I mean, very well said, and I think it's a really, really cool idea, uh, especially just because, like you said, I mean, half the fun of hunting is, is gathering before and after the hunt and staying up too late, having having a few drinks and, and spinning Absolutely. yarns. You know, I've, I've done it at my cabin the last couple of weekends at Grouse Camp. I've probably done it every weekend since September, you know, bird season started, and Really, when you think about yeah. it, most people wouldn't think about, like, oh, I'm going to pop a microphone down here on the table and record this, but it's actually not that hard. And no, not, and not only really are fun. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you guys, clearly you have fun on, on the Birds, Booze, and Bud podcast, and it's, it's fun to listen yeah. to. But really, you know, we, oftentimes I get into conversations with people about keeping a, a bird hunting journal and writing things down, and it can... Oftentimes yep. it, it can seem like a lot of work, especially if you're at camp and all your buddies are around. But yeah. the one th- the one thing that's a given is you know at at when the hunt is over, everybody's going to sit down somewhere, grab a cold beverage, and start shooting the shit and talking about hunting. Yeah. So why not why not flip that microphone on? Like you said, record the stories and the voices, man. The voices are your friends. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. It's like I'm having so much fun with it, and I. I, I do have, I, I've had, um, at least, at least once a month, I've had these little solo chats where I kind of, I kind of either break down kind of what the bird numbers are, are showing, uh, how they're showing up and what they look like. And, uh, I've had a little bit of gear chat and some people have, have written me Facebook messages asking advice on everything from choke tubes to what kind of shotguns I shoot to shot size to shot brands. And I'm like, those are fun too. And, and this winter it's going to get, uh, uh, I'm even going to actually, you know, here in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start doing a little coyote trapping, and I'm going to do a little, uh, little coyote trapping tutorial on, nice. on, uh, on, uh, yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it's, it's stuff like that. I mean, like, I do want to get some serious information out there, and it's really cool that I get a lot of these people that, that are sending me messages and asking questions, like I'm some kind of authority, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, like I'm, just, yeah. I'm just some, some schmuck from northern North Dakota who, who, uh, just, spends way too much money on bird dogs and way too little time working. But uh, yep. it, it's so much fun sitting down and, and, I mean, 
like I, I'm lucky enough where my, my work days are pretty short. I usually get done with work at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I get to hunt 80-plus days a year, 90-plus days a year. And this, this year is hopefully going to be more than that because i got a couple of late-season trips planned. But, uh, I mean, so I do notice stuff in, as far as gear goes and, and what works best and, and this and that. So any kind of advice, and even I've even had some people that, that have been saying, they're you know, they're planning trips to North Dakota for the first time and asking for advices on where to go. Now, I'm not putting pins in a map by any means, but I yep. can give some pretty some pretty solid general, uh, you know, local knowledge on what to look for. And, and I've, I've been getting a lot of positive feedback from that as well. Yeah, cool. I mean, that, you know, that's, again, that is sort of, you have that freedom on your podcast and you can, as, as I do on this one, to sort of, to right. sort of change the dynamics of the conversation. And, and again, you, you know, it's funny that we can laugh about like you and I, I don't, I like, I imagine you do, I know you do, don't consider yourself some expert or authority on upland hunting, but no, the, the point is that you've got a lot of experience doing that kind of hunting right. in in your area and to other people that's oh, valuable. Absolutely. Just like I right. have a lot and of I experience mean, grouse woodcock hunting in my area, and that can be valuable to people. But yeah, it's it's people are are happy to hear that from you, and, and you're happy to share it, which is perfect. So what were you going to oh, say? Sorry, yeah. sorry, Tyler. Uh, like it's uh, yeah, no, no worries. Um, I was like I started hunting when I was eight years old. Uh, I'm I'm 33 now, so I've been hunting for like 25 years. And I've been hunting in the same area of the state for 25 years, and, and I grew up with, uh, I, I started hunting with my grandpa, and he, I mean, my God, he started hunting, I think he was born in 34, and he'd been hunting since the mid-40s, so I mean, like, I got, a, just between generational knowledge of the of the country and the, and the people and, and the birds, um, and then just the, the experience that I have, the thing that really kills me, Nick, it, it's, like, I get people that, that message me about dog trading tips, and I just can't help but laugh. Like, I mean, <laughs> I am the farthest thing away from a dog trainer that there ever has been, ever. My dogs are heathens, and I love them just the way they are. But, yeah. uh, like, I get, I had, I had one guy here a couple weeks ago. He was, like, he sent me a very long, very serious dog trading question. I was like, man, I don't even know where, where to start. Like, uh, you need to get some professional help because I, I am not the guy to be asking those questions. Yeah, yeah. Like if, that, you wanna that, know, if you want to, if you want to know, if you if you want to know what a good scotch is after you get done hunting, I'm your guy. You want to know what <laughs> kind of shot to use for huns and pheasants and grouse? I'm your guy. But if you want to know how to get your dog to 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 be steady to wing shot and fall over wild birds, I am the farthest thing from your guy that there ever has been. <laughs> hey man, know your limitations and know your strengths, right? That's that's the way. Yeah, to do it. I, I, like I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna bowl. You know, I'm not gonna feed some guy a line of bowl and just try to fake my way through it. Even for the like, there's very few things that are more dangerous than the than the water cooler dog trainer, and that's yeah. kind of what I am. Like, like I've learned <laughs> what I've learned from people that kind of know what they're doing, but I am. No authority on that. And I am the first person to pass off this question to somebody who actually knows. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm much the same way in that, especially when it comes to my dog. And I I I feel like I I listen to people that are smarter than me and know a lot more than me, and I pay attention. And I have I have sort of uh, done done things with my dog that 
that I feel like have gotten to a, a pretty good point for an amateur trainer and he being my first dog. But I'll be the first to tell you that anything good he does is his genetic potential and anything bad he does exactly. is, is me messing it up. Right. That's exactly right. And I mean, I, you know, it's kind of the cool thing about what, what, you know, between, uh, your podcast and my podcast and, and the hunting dog podcast, you kind of have kind of a cool little, uh, like I, I talked to, I've, I've, spent a lot of time talking with you online and over the phone and, and Ron and through that you kind of get a lot of different perspectives on questions but I've I've referred so many people to, to, to listen to Ron's podcast with, with uh, Justin McGrail uh, yep. like if they have dog training questions and especially general questions I'm like dude literally just listen to this episode and it'll answer a lot of your questions from a guy who is a professional trainer who absolutely knows what he's talking about and it's kind of neat that we got you know None of us are are competitive. Like I kind of I kind of jokingly call it the brotherhood of the bird hunter. Like there, <laughs> other than if somebody wants me to drop a pin in the map on a place that is a dynamite pheasant spot, I'm probably not going to do that. In fact, I'm sure I won't. But other than that, I will give any piece of advice that I can to anybody. And it seems like that's really how most of the bird hunters are. Yep, I think I think you're right. I mean, most most of the people that I that I get in contact with and communicate with. Um, are are that way? They're very forthcoming with information, and you know what's you know what's kind of cool about it, and and something that I didn't really think about it, but a uh, a friend of mine, he's on Instagram, uh, Ted the Surveyor, Ted Summer, he's out of Wisconsin. He he put it in a way that I didn't really think about, which I thought was interesting, and he said that it's a lot easier it's a lot easier to share information with somebody over Facebook or Instagram because. There, you guys, you're hunting different areas, and it's not the same as as talking about something down at the local bar, you know, where the guy could be right. on your cover cover the next day. So I, that's right. why I, I do think it's it's social media and Facebook is actually a really good way to get a lot of quality information from people that know you know a lot more than than you and I, and it's it's a great way to connect, and it's a great way to sort of in a non threatening way get get good quality tips from people. Absolutely. Um, like, I, I always kind of chuckle whenever whenever somebody says, you know, uh, I don't want to give out too much information because I don't want to pull up and, and see a truck parked in in, uh, in one of my favorite spots. Well, that's never happened to me. Like, I, I tell people, like, even where I'm going to tonight is only 50 miles away from where I live. And I can just say a general area, and that encompasses so many literally hundreds of square miles <laughs> Of, yep. of country that if you don't know exactly what you're like, it would be so unlikely for somebody to find one of the pieces that I actually really like to hunt that I, I have no problem being like, yeah, I'd go down there or wherever, even if I'm hunting in that same general area. Um, just because like where you guys come from, where it's, you know, most, it's, well, I'm almost exclusively public land hunting. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of a different world out here. Um, you know, if, if you talk to one landowner, if you get permission from one landowner out here, it could be 20,000 acres or or more. So, yep. you know, it's, it, 20,000 acres is, is a shitload of land, and that, that's more than if you, I mean, obviously out of that 20,000 acres, there's maybe 600 of it or 700 of it that is probably going to hold the majority of the birds. But um, you know, if, if I'm, I, I've flat out told people, uh, at the at the local bar after we got done hunting, you know, it's like, yeah, where were you at? Well, I was down here by this town, and and even if I'm going right back there the next day or whatever, I've never pulled up and seen somebody in one of my spots. It's kind of it's kind of one of the other things I'm really lucky 
lucky about where I live. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's it's great to have to have the amount of land available to you, and then obviously that access. And you know, I mean, to sort of sum that up, I mean, ultimately the spots that that get exposed and get overhunted. I mean, you find out about those real quick, and somebody that somebody oh, that's yeah. in the field, somebody that's in the field every day or every weekend you're going to figure those out and you're going to you want to expand your territory beyond those spots that that they've got a truck there every time and you're you're very quickly going to overlook that stuff and you've got plenty of spots that you can go to and that's just kind of the way you have to got to run your operation really absolutely i do i do want to circle back to something you said because uh the justin mcgrail podcast episodes on the on the honey dog podcast with ron bame they are some of the best uh, information as far as in a listening format, uh, the best information you can get for not only, I mean, uh, he talks a lot about pointing dogs because that's what Justin does, uh, but there's a lot of quality information in there for any kind of dog that you're, that you're running. But he just, uh, the way that he explains things is so straightforward and just cut and dry. Like you can, you, he cuts through all of the, the nuance, and I mean, not to oversimplify it, like he's he really knows what he's doing, and he communicates that very well. But the way that he explains things, at least for me, is like spot on, and it's just it, it's they're really quality stuff. And Ron Ron's had him on, I don't know, five or six times. So if you're if you're looking for good dog information, go listen to those on the Hunting Dog Podcast because they're fantastic. Oh, 100 percent. And I know uh, when Ron was up here, he was talking about. I know he's going to be doing another one with uh, with Justin when he got back to Michigan. Uh, so there's going to be a new one coming out here pretty soon. But uh, cool. yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the way he he he's such a calm, mild mannered guy, and he yes. really thinks like a dog. Like he kind of puts himself in the dog's shoes, and like the the one. And I, I don't want to rehash a whole episode here of what he did, but. Um, if you go back and listen to some of those episodes, the one on how to break them from trash, how to break dogs from yep, trash animals, I know like exactly what you're talking about. or rabbits or whatever, I have used that exact technique on, on my youngest dog, and it works so well. And it never made sense to, like, as soon as he said it, I was like, of course that's how you do that. Like, yep. that is absolutely the correct way to do that. And it just, like, it never dawned on me until he said that. But, yep. uh, yeah, like... I, I couldn't recommend those more. I've, I've, I bet I've listened to those five or six times over the years just because there are certain things that I, I know that are on there that I want to refresh her on if I'm working with my dog on something. And, yeah, he, he just he's a very articulate guy. And, I, like, I wouldn't trust my uh, any of my dogs to, to send off to anybody, but I would send them to that guy in a heartbeat. Yeah, 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 I to- totally agree. He's, uh, he's, he's a quality resource and, and – Fortunately, uh, thanks to Ron and the Honey Dog Podcast, you can listen to him for probably four or five hours on, on those episodes, and you will absolutely walk away uh, uh, knowing more than you did when you started to listen to him. So shameless shameless plug there for Justin McGrail and, uh, and Ron and the yeah. Honey Dog Podcast for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be here without, without Ron, so... Uh, yep. I mean, there's, there's, there's no question. I, I, there's no way I would have had a podcast without that guy. Yeah, yeah. I I will give him all the publicity and all the kudos in the world because he's he deserves it. He was uh, he's he's saved me from countless hours of boredom out of my mail route. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yep. I hear you. And uh, when I was working for Rough Grouse Society, I was driving a lot, and uh, my favorite thing to do was was pop on Honey Dog podcast for sure. (laughs) Yeah. 
So uh, now let's let's transition a little bit to um, your uh, sort of your hunting report because I know you and I sure. chatted yesterday and you got the you got the first snowfall yesterday and that uh, we chat a little bit that kind of changes the game maybe not so much out that way but it does here uh, so just walk us through sort of uh, what you've seen so far and and like where you're at in the season right now and what what uh, what you're looking ahead to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm in the part of the season now that I call my part of the season, the part that I yeah. really kind of get excited for. Um, I've always kind of considered myself a late-season hunter, and late-season hunter kind of comes in different stages. Generally, I consider a late-season hunter somebody who hunts after deer season closes. But, I mean, once the snow flies, like we got that first snow of the year yesterday, and it, it, um, it, does, it really does, it simplifies the game here. Um hmm. First of all, the birds show up more. You, you can see tracks in the snow. You know where they're going to be. They're going to be, uh, especially pheasants. I mean, this early in the year in October when it's warm out, them pheasants are so dispersed um, through. I mean, any 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 small five foot wide stand of, of leaves can hold a pheasant. Um, once it starts getting cold, them birds they group up and they really get into the the thicker cattail sloughs inside of food fields. Uh, again, like. This is just me with my with my my personal experiences, but um, yep. I, this is uh, this is cattail season now. Once everything starts freezing, we start getting snow, and you can really you can really concentrate on on pieces of cover that are holding birds for sure. Um, if I pull up to a cattail slough and I get out, and if I don't see tracks or places where they've been scratching in the corner of the field getting seeds or something like that in the first couple hundred yards of a, of a cattail slough, I just get up and I move on to the next piece. Um, whereas in, in October, there might be one or two birds in there, um, but and there might still be one or two birds in there, but in the late season, you're not hunting for one or two birds, you're hunting for 50 or 60 uh, in, a, in a single piece of cover. So it really, if, if you can stand the cold, it really simplifies everything. Uh, they, yeah. you know, there's, you're going to be pull, you're going to pull up to some pieces and everybody's all, you know, anybody who's ever hunted pheasants, especially out in the West or South Dakota or any place else, you pulled up to a piece of cover and you slammed a corridor and birds start piling out the other end of the field. Well, a lot of people will see that and they just take off and they're like, well, there they all went. But in reality, a lot of them, and especially a lot of the older KG roosters, they just hunker down and like, you got to get in there and get them out. And that's, that's when it gets so much fun. Uh, and I know a lot of people, uh, they're not real big fans of running pointing dogs and, and cattail sloughs. And, and truth be told, I'm pro, I've, I'm the first to admit that it's not ideal, but pointing dogs is what I have. So, uh, like that's, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's what I'm going to put in there. And I just use beeper collars and, uh, them dogs, um, uh, they, they get in there and root them birds. Uh, you know, they'll get a point at them. It's your kind of job to get up there as fast as you can and move the bird. But um, once, uh, and the other, sharp tail season pretty much uh, is kind of over once it snows. Um, the, the birds get real flighty. Uh, there's actually some opportunity for path shooting, which can be kind of a hoot. Um, if, if you find a, like a cut sunflower field where they're coming into out of the big prairie to feed, uh, like they'll feed in the same fields fairly, fairly regularly. And we've, we've done it before where we've gotten into the fence row and, and sat there and waited for them to come flying over because they've been coming in at a certain time of the day. But 
generally you're not going to get much dog work on this time of the year, but, but pheasants and huns, um, from November on is, is, is the best as far as I'm concerned. Um, and even yesterday with it being the first snow of the year, um, I was really surprised. I got home from work yesterday at two o'clock and there was no snow on the ground. And I sat down for what seemed like about two minutes and I looked outside and there was like three inches standing. So <laughs> I first thing, I, like as soon as that happened, I looked outside and, and I, I got my boots on, I grabbed my dog and a gun and I went out and I, I started working a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, even just within those first few hours of a snowstorm, it was, it was really kind of amazing to me on how I've walked these same pieces of cover right by my house up, several times over the course of the season already and even just in a couple hours i was noticing how there was more birds showing up there that that i hadn't seen before so um i think that uh in fact i shot a pheasant today that barely had any color on it so i know for sure that there's some some latecomers to the game still but uh mm. um i think uh i think that it's going to be a pretty good late late pheasant season um better than better than what a lot of people are anticipating um, and I just can't get over the number of tons that I've been seeing. That, that, that's, that's my favorite bird to chase, and, and I'm lucky enough to, to live in, in the right part of the state where there's a lot of them around right now, and that's, uh, I'd walk past five pheasants to shoot a hunt, so uh, it, it works out pretty well for me. But it seems like, it seems like there's, there's, there's a, still a good number of birds around for anybody who has a little bit of motivation to get out there and get after them. Cool. Uh, I mean, are, so at this point, are you hoping like, are you hoping that the snow doesn't pile up? I mean, if you get if you get dumped on, can that can that make things challenging for you and the dogs? Oh, absolutely. Um, like the proper a proper winter for for bird hunting is about seven eight inches of snow, uh, maybe maybe a foot, and then uh, and then fairly cold weather. Um, it's the cold more so than the snow that really pushes the bird, the birds into into the thicker the thicker cover. Um, but uh, like, it definitely happens where you'll get so much snow that even like I have a set of snowshoes, but it just doesn't do any good. Um, if we get too much, I mean, we don't get as much snow here in North Dakota as you guys get, with the exception of last December. Last December really sucked and kind of cut my season short by a month. But um. Usually, usually we get we don't get a ton of snow. I mean, if we get ten to twelve inches of snow from until the first of the year, that's kind of a lot. But uh, yeah, absolutely. We I don't want it to pile up by any means. I mean, the dogs can't get around, and and you can't get around either. So it kind of just kills the season at that point. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, we run into the same thing here, and and uh, we're coming up on uh, deer season starting in Minnesota this week, and that usually kind of signals. For a lot of people, it signals the end of grouse season. Uh, not necessarily for me. I like to get out after the firearms deer season. But again, same thing. We're hoping for not crazy amounts of snow, and we're unfortunately we're off to a pretty rough start with that. But the ground is still yeah. pretty warm, and we're getting some warmer air temperatures, so it's 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 melting in between snowfalls and. And I don't know. Who knows? You never can't predict the weather that far out. So we'll see what happens. But I'm I'm still hoping to get get after the grouse quite a bit too. So um, yeah, for sure. Well, if nothing, if nothing else, you just got to make a trip west or or something else. Yeah, exactly. Just just give me an excuse. Just give me an excuse, that's, and I'll, right. I'll head out your way. 
you you mentioned that you mentioned you have setters. I think uh gosh, I'm going through my mind here. I think you're the first guy that I've had on the podcast that has a setter. So uh I don't I yeah. won't say that nobody's uh nobody's called me uh breed biased yet, but certainly they can't say that if it's I'm six episodes in I'm first time I have a setter guy on here, so yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I, I had to add you to the private group today just so I had a buffer zone against all the short hair friends I have. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, like I've, I, I, the hunting show that I grew up with was hunting with Hank with Des Young, and uh, as soon as I saw that 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 Llewellyn Setter has stacked up on a, on a bird the first time, I was, I mean, it was. I think he started. I I actually interviewed him in one of my early episodes when I was still called the Western Wing Shooter, and I was talking yep. to him. I think he filmed that first episode, I think, in 94, if I remember right, 94 or 95. So I was only, like, 12 years old. And there were no bird hunting shows on TV back then, really. I mean, it was all deer hunting and turkey hunting and bass fishing, mm-hmm. right? So yep. that that was the first time I'd ever seen a setter ever in my in my life. And when I saw that dog, I was like, that's the kind of bird dog I want. That's what a bird dog looks like. So, uh, not, I, I'm going to digress. Well, I mean, it's not really digressing, but, uh, I'm going to go into a little bit of the story on how I got, uh, I got my first dog, uh, November, it would have been nine years ago. Okay. Okay. And I got him for giveaway, for giveaway out of the paper. And he was one of, uh, he was one of Hank's litter, one of Hank's wow. last litter. Oh. And like this guy, this guy had had got him, and he had a litter of puppies with him. And his kids fell in love with two of the puppies, and his wife put her foot down and said, "You can either keep the two puppies, or one puppy and the old dog, or whatever." And his kids, his kids kind of won. And and I, like I just picked up the newspaper randomly, and this is 2009, and I look and I see a uh, five-year-old English setter for for giveaway, and I. First thing I, w- I was thinking, I was like, well, what kind of dog does somebody give away, right? Especially right, in the prime right. of his life. So I went out and I started talking to this guy, and this guy put me through a more intensive interview process than I've ever had at any job I've ever gotten. <laughs> like, he, he was grilling me. He's like, man, I really, I like, I don't want to, he's like, I don't want to be a dick, but I want to make sure he's like, you're really a hunter. I was like, yeah, I'm really a hunter. He's like, how many days a week do you hunt? I said, I don't know, three, four, like every day that I can. He's like, oh, okay, well, that's more than I hunt. And he, like, he just, he just put me through the ringer. And finally, after, like, I had to go back for a follow up interview. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> so after, after, after the second interview, I was like, this, you know, this, this, dog, and he was my oldest dog, Ace. He, he's, he was a great looking dog, especially when he was younger and he had just the sweetest temperament and, uh, the whole time I was just like, God, there's just got to be something wrong with this dog. And then as soon as I saw how much this guy didn't want to get rid of him, I was like, okay, I have to have this dog. And so finally he, he relented and, and I got the dog. And for the first 30 days, I, I was ready to take him back. <laughs> he was, he was, no just, he was a dick. Yeah. And he, he, he was a runaway dog and I took him hunting and I was, it was the first time I'd taken him out hunting. And I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to take this dog hunting. And I'd been so afraid of taking him hunting before that because I was just afraid he was going to run away. And finally, I was just at the end of my wits, and I was like, okay, I'm going to take him hunting. I'm going to see what I got. And uh, if he runs away at this point, he runs away. I mean, like, that's just kind of what happens. And yeah. I we walk about 200 yards into the first walk, and he goes on point. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's nice. 
And I walk up, and a rooster flushes, and I shoot, and it drops, and the dog doesn't move. And I kind of looked, and I took a couple more steps, and another rooster flushed, and I shot and dropped it, and the dog didn't move. I take a couple more steps, and a third one flushed, and I shot it, and he went out there, and he retrieved all three birds back to me, and we just kind of looked at each other like, all right, this will work. And uh, <laughs> oh, I was, like, ever since then, he's, he's been my best bud, man, and he's uh, he's still alive. He's uh, he's 15 years old, uh, <laughs> and he, so I've got, when I got him, I, I thought, you know, if I get five good years out of this dog or six good years, that'll be great. Well, I've gotten almost ten. I got <laughs> This is nine, and. He's, he's retired now, and he can't get around real well. But last last January, we went to Kansas, and he was pointing bobwhites and, and pheasants in Kansas and retrieving them for me. Wow. That's unreal, man. Yes. Yeah. I mean, talk about a talk about a cool story the first time you ever took him hunting and obviously the first dog yeah. that you ever had. Like, wow, that's – he set the bar high, but, man, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and then I, I got I got my second my, – I, I bought my female Daisy – uh, from a kennel in Iowa, and she was a uh, one of the Grouse Ridge setters. She was from the Grouse Ridge line, and she turned out really good. And then I got a puppy out of her and Ace. I got um, their 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 son Rusty. I got so I got three or I got second generation of Ace, and I still got his mom, and she's only six and a half. So uh, I'm pretty. I got I got two two still pretty good setters, and I'm going to be looking for a third one here probably this winter again. Sure. Yep. Yep. Cool. So so. Uh... Yeah, so you like you like uh, you like having three. I mean, do you do you find yourself in a? I mean, you you get out a lot, but you're you're obviously yeah. doing. Sometimes you're doing shorter hunts. Do you do you try to conserve your dog power a lot, or do you pretty much have your dogs down at the same time all the time, or how do you do that? Well, it kind of depends. Um, if I'm hunting by myself, and if I you know like today, um, when I was just going out hunting after work, if I'm just going to go out for something like that, I'll take both dogs out. Um, but most of my hunting that I've gotten done this year, other than just a short little after work hunts, uh, have been when big groups of guys have been up. So I've kind of, I've really conserved my dog power. Uh, I'll use one dog at a time just so I can supplement their dogs. Cause, uh, like the first group of guys that came up, uh, from Michigan came up in September to hunt sharp tails and they came up with, with four dogs, five dogs that were all in really good shape. And in fact, three of them had just passed the VC, uh, test for NAVDA, but mm. after five days of chasing sharp tails, dogs just start breaking down. Yeah. And if if you if, if you uh, if you hunt your dogs, like, if you're gonna if they're if I'm gonna be hunting for a prolonged period of time, I I only take one dog out at a time, and I'll absolutely leave both dogs in the truck and hunt behind somebody else's dogs over the course of a hunt as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's that's you know that's always the thing that that. You know, I mean, it's just part of part of hunting hunting behind pointing dogs or flushing dogs, or whatever it is. I mean, you they can only go so far. You know, as, as excited as right. excited and uh, as much drive as they hit the field with, you uh, right. ultimately th- they work a lot harder than we do. I mean, I know we we think we oh, work, yeah. uh, we we put on miles and we wear ourselves out, but man, those dogs they go above and beyond and they do a lot. So it's yeah, you're always you're always trying to manage and conserve their energy, and that's uh, it's part of the game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's I, I for the life of me, I don't understand how somebody can come out out west on a big trip without like you almost need at least two dogs per person. And I mean, like if there's six, three of you coming out, you need six dogs. Uh, you can run, you know, you can run two dogs at a time, and then and then keep 
keep reserves, and as long as you keep on rotating them, and they have time to time to kind of recoup, it's not so bad. But we all get so so geeked up when we when we get out to hunt for the first time. You don't want to leave any dogs in the truck, right? Everybody wants to yeah. let every dog out that they have. And the first the first walk of the trip always turns into a goat rope, and you're you're yelling at dogs, <laughs> and there's birds flying, and dogs are all wound up. And then you get back to the truck, and by day two you burn up all your dogs. And, yeah. and I mean, if a guy just settles down and, and, you know, kind of uses your head a little bit. And I mean, I get that nobody wants to leave their dog behind on the first walk or whatever, but there's a, you know, there's a lot of miles to put on out here. And it's, uh, in fact, there's a group of five guys that came up and hunted with me and they brought two, uh, two springers and, and, uh, an old Brittany. And by the end of day two, they were up here for five days. And by the end of day two, their dogs were just like, puddles on the floor just just burnt to the ground because they had hunted all three dogs on every walk they'd made for two days and uh, i was like man you guys are you guys are in trouble like you guys need to take a full day off now because those if you don't do that if you don't give those dogs time or at the very least you need to find small pieces of cover and hunt one dog at a time and let them but it's 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 probably the most common error that i see people make when they come out here to the big country yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a good way to put it, and especially as far as yeah, like what what kind of mistakes people make when they're going out there. Um, I don't briefly. I'll, I'll let you know. We'll let you go here pretty quick. I know you got to shoot some pool tonight, but uh, oh, what, what like uh, you know for somebody like me that's never hunted out there, or anybody else like the people that ask you questions. What uh, mm-hmm. what kind of you know sort of overall tips would you give them? Other we talked about dog power, but but what kind of things do you tell people if they're interested in sort of making that trek and and hunting North Dakota for for sharp tails and huns and pheasants? Sure. Well, the first thing that that a person needs to do is you need to figure out what you want to target because what you like the the bird species that you want to target is going to dictate on when you're going to come and and the the techniques and and stuff that you're going to you're going to implement. Um, if a guy wants to come and hunt sharp tails, especially, um, you, you don't want to come like our, our season always opens up the second Saturday in October for sharp tails and huns. Um, okay. I don't, I don't recommend that people come up here for that because we can get brutally hot still and you end up just hunting a couple hours a day and, and that's all. But, uh, if, if you want to chase specifically sharp tails, the last week of September and the first week of October is generally a pretty good time to get up. Um, the birds haven't been pressured so bad that they're they're real real wary yet, and you can still get some nice dog work on them. And the weather is generally far cooler. Um, I don't I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that's come up to North Dakota specifically to hunt huns. Uh, it'd be pretty hard to. They're like even even this year when I've been seeing six plus cubbies a day, but they're they're kind of God, what's the, what's the right way to put this? They're kind of schizophrenic. Um, okay. They can be anywhere at any given time of day. They can. I mean, we've chased them out of cattail sloughs. We've chased them out of dirt fields. We've chased them out of tree rows, out of canola fields. I mean, they can be literally anywhere. So if you wanted to come up here specifically to chase huns, you'd be it, it's it, it'd be pretty tough. But um, it, when you're chasing sharptails, uh, they're sharp tails and huns the habitat generally butts up to each other pretty closely and when you're chasing pheasants the habitat with huns generally butts up pretty closely so um if you want to if you want to chase pheasants the first couple weeks of season there's a lot of birds that are killed but there's so much cover um the birds are really scattered 
the upside is that the birds are really stupid and they're going to hold forever for dogs. Um, sure. But, uh, uh, so, I mean, th- that's kind of the first thing that a person would really need to sit down and think about is what you want to hunt. Um, if, if you're a, a hardcore pheasant hunter, I think that, I think that the week, the, as soon as deer rifle season deer closes up here, um, which is usually right around Thanksgiving time, um, jump in the truck and come out and start chasing roosters then. Like that, that in my opinion is the best pheasant hunting of the year. Um, and then obviously we have tons of waterfowl, but waterfowl guys are crazy and they'll do all kinds of weird things. <laughs> it's last all, like, you, can, <laughs> you can hunt, you can hunt, you can hunt ducks and geese up here on the Missouri river all the way up through end of season in January and it just gets better and better. So cool. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's certainly helpful. Um, especially to, uh, you know, people thinking about it, considering, considering to hunt that way. Pick your pick your species that you want to target, and then determine determine the time frame that you're going to be out there, and then start game planning from there. That makes sense to me. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, I, I'm just like you. I mean, if anybody has any questions or anything, I'm on Facebook, and I got the Birds, Booze, and Buds Facebook page. Uh, I'm I've I think I'm still pretty proud of it. Over the last two months, I've uh, I've I'm I have a hundred percent response rate on Messenger for the podcast. So nice, I mean, if anybody, nice. if anybody, if anybody wants to ask any questions, like I said, I mean, I'm I'm a plethora of useless knowledge, but I will give you whatever useless knowledge I have, and uh, I, I can definitely steer in the right direction. And I mean, you know, for a lot of people, it's you know, it's November now. You know, anybody that that's plan- hasn't planned a trip already, they're probably unless it's going to be just kind of a quick trip for four or five days, they're probably planning more for next year, I, I would imagine, unless they're planning on going south. Um, yeah. But if anybody anybody uh, wants to plan a trip out here next year, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I won't put pins in the map, but I'll absolutely steer you in the right direction. I'll send, I'll send you towards some good spots, and and uh, any questions on gear or anything else, I'm more than happy to, to, to give my opinion on whatever. Yeah, good deal, man. I can I can certainly attest to that. Uh, you can you can also you also hand out free advice on doing a podcast because when I right before I started doing this podcast, I was asking you a bunch of questions because you got rolling a couple of weeks before me, and I was asking you questions, and you were you were giving me your your useless knowledge on that too. <laughs> Yeah, my, my useless knowledge on that is way, way less than my useless knowledge on hunting. I am, I am the, I, I am the least technologically inclined 33 year old person you will ever meet. I barely know how to operate a smartphone. So, uh, like, if I can figure out how to do a podcast, I swear to God, it's pretty easy. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not, I'm not saying this about you, but I got a, a buddy of mine that one of his favorite things to say is, he's like, yeah, I have a smartphone, but there's an idiot running it. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. That is, that is that, that's well put. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, man. Well, that was uh, you know, you and I, we could BS all night and talk about bird hunting, and I'm sure we'll continue to do that uh, as the season oh, progresses. Sure. But uh, I really appreciate you uh, joining us on the Project Upland podcast. Um, we talked about it a little bit, but for everybody uh, interested in Tyler's podcast, it's the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. It's on iTunes and probably Stitcher and all kinds of stuff like that. I would imagine. And uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. And everything else. Okay. Google cool. Play, so yeah. But um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to return the return the favor to have you on and uh, flip the script on you a little bit. But uh, I, I'm I, I I appreciate what you guys are doing and I like I've watched all the Project Upland videos and they're they're incredible. 
And I'm coming from a guy who's never seen a rough grouse or a woodcock. Well, I guess I've seen one woodcock in my life, but uh, um, it's it, like it is. It is kind of cool that we're starting to get get together a, a fairly solid community of of not just podcasters, but it's kind of nice to see that there that I'm not the only younger guy out there that that is actually still in, interested in this kind of stuff. And it's uh, it, it kind of it, it really it really really kind of. It just makes me happy that that there's people our age that are that are still. I mean, you're on your first bird dog, right? I mean, I'm only yep. I'm only on on my second generation of bird dogs over the last nine years. I mean, it's it's just cool to see that that there are people that are still getting into this, um, even even us younger people. So, yep, hundred percent agree, man. And we we want more of it. I know that's why you do your podcast. It's one of the reasons why you do your podcast. It's it's one of the reasons yep. I do this one. And uh, we want to see more. And, and like Tyler said, if you guys have questions about anything that we maybe know or have done, fire away because I'm always happy to answer them, and, and I know you are as well. So, Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate it, Nick. And we'll, uh, we'll get together and we'll record one for, for my podcast. We can be a little bit sillier. And, uh, and I've, I've, I, I rolled out the carpet for you back in the end of September, and the, the offer is still open if you want to come out and chase some huns and pheasants with me this late season. So. Yep, you sure did, buddy. I appreciate it, and uh, I, I got to get my got to get out west and and hunt with you. I'd love to do that, and uh, I, I you know where my cabin's at too. So uh, when when you head east, we'll we'll set it up that way too. But I'd love to jump on your podcast, and uh, uh, yeah, appreciate it, man. We'll keep in touch and shoot straight tonight uh, at the billiards room, and shoot straight tomorrow in the field. Sounds good, Nick. Appreciate it, man. You have a good night. All right, take it easy, buddy. See ya. Later. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.